You are listening to a Bible-based message from River Rock Church in Belle Plaine, Minnesota. Go to riverrockchurch.com for more information and resources. Now here's today's encouraging message from Pastor Chris Tyen. Prayed about it and prayed about it. It's hard for me to come to Christmas time and try to think of something new to say, which isn't necessary, but it's like, oh, I said that before Christmas time. Of course you said that before. But I'm going to kick off the Christmas season with something really special uh, how to maximize your Christmas return on investment. So right after you do that Black Friday shopping and do all that crazy kind of stuff, you come to church and we'll talk about how that worked out for you. No, actually it's how you can invest in the Christmas season so that it has eternal value and brings eternal life, can help bring eternal life to other people that you are around. So you ready for your picture, Dan? So this morning I wanted to... Uh to share a little bit differently before the offering. So some people could come to take our morning offering. But the picture you see here, this is a picture we took while we were hiking in Hawaii. And I call these hallelujah furs. And I call them hallelujah furs because I don't know what they're called. Uh, and, and secondly, all of the needles point up. So you, you look at the, the, go by the trees, all of the needles point up. When we go to our furs, so the one on the left there, when we go to our furs, they all or point in different directions and tend to hang down. But all of these tend to point up. And, and as I saw that, I thought, it's like they're reaching up to God to praise him. And so I know that in Scripture it talks about in prayer and in worship, uh, different postures, there's falling down before God, but there's lifting our hands and praise. There's the wave offering that they would do before the priests would eat. And when we think about this, I want you to think about this, that as if you're in a situation, I do this sometimes when I'm praying by myself and nobody else is around because I'm a little self-conscious, but I'll raise my hands in prayer. What am I doing? When I'm raising my hands in prayer, I'm giving everything that I have to God. So my talents, my pain, uh, my frustrations, uh, my praise to him, and then I'm receiving the blessings and everything that he has to give to me. So my arms are open to let go, and my arms are open to receive. And as we give this morning, I want us to give with that heart attitude. The heart attitude, Lord, I'm going to give you what I have, but Lord, I want to receive you today. So let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you that we can gather in your name, that we can give back to you, Lord, that we can lift up holy hands to you in praise, Lord, that we can give you everything that we have, not just our gifts and our talents, Lord, but our pain and our issues that we want to deal with. And Lord, we can receive you and all the blessings that you have to give us. And Lord, we pray that you would do that. And as each gift is given today, Lord, I pray that you again would multiply it, make it more than it would be if we held on to it. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're continuing to talk about prayer. Actually, we'll stop the prayer series today and then uh, talk about Thanksgiving. And then it's Christmas time. I can't believe how fast the time has gone. So I actually had some plans to do a few more things outside, like take my hose inside. Now it's like totally frozen to the side of the house. Because I saw in the forecast there was going to be a 50-some degree day, and it's not coming. So it got lost somewhere when it got past Nebraska. It decided it wasn't coming here. And I thought to myself, you know, that is just the way it is in life, too. There are so many things that we want to do. We want to talk to people about Jesus. We want to do this with our life. We want to do this and that. And then all of a sudden, poof opportunity's up. It's over. The opportunity that you waited for, that you thought was better waiting for another day, it's not going to happen. So maybe it's a 
a loved one you want to tell about Jesus. Maybe it is someone that you work with that maybe they're not going to be there next week. So whatever it is that you need to do, pray about it, and maybe you need to do it now. But I want to show you a video about the Lord's Prayer and praying. But I'd just be real curious to know from any of you if you've actually been praying through the Lord's Prayer as a template, praying through the Lord's Prayer as a way to motivate you to pray for yourself, to pray for others, to pray to the Lord the things that matter. Because the Lord's Prayer is powerful, not just saying the words, but actually thinking about it as you go along. And We've talked about that a bit. But prayer is huge. Prayer changes things. Prayer can change relationships, change people, change you. Prayer is talking to God. You don't have to have uh, a written prayer to follow, but if you have a hard time figuring out what to pray, there's lots of great prayer books out there where people have prayers that they've written that you can use as a guide template to get you to become a better prayer or uh, topical, like on the back table there, the uh, topical Bible or the... Um, questions that were the answer to the questions and things like that to help you pray. And then this How to Find God New Testament on how to pray. Uh, in your bulletin, I printed the King James Version and the New Living Translation. And we don't have an official Bible translation, and I feel like a broken record sometime, but I have this vision of us distributing these How to Find God New Testaments everywhere, and then being distributed through Olive Bell Plain in Jordan and Henderson and Arlington. And as the need comes, that more money would come in, and we could just keep buying Bibles so that people would come to Christ. And so we've been using the New Living Translation for a, a bit. And then Chuck Swindoll, who Insight for Living, came and said, you know, I'm using this Bible translation. I have talked to the translators, and they said this is... This is how they did this, and I think it's the best way to reach today's generation. And then one of our largest churches like us, which happens to be straight north on 25, so we're on the bottom of 25, they're on the top of 25, uh, Riverside Alliance Church is using the New Living Translation. They bought Pew Bibles and decided to use that because they realized that People don't read their Bibles, that people that do are going to use whatever translation they want anyway. They've got it on their tablet, their phone, uh, in print and everything. So you're not going to you know, necessarily you know, buy them a Bible because they already have a Bible. But if you want people to read the Bible and understand the Bible, it's really a helpful tool. And if you're trying to reach lost people for Christ, their questions aren't, oh, what Bible translation is that? Their question is, is, you want me to read that? What do you want me to read first? So it's the notes inside of it. It's the resources inside of it. It's the fact that you get all of the, I, we get all of this for less than three bucks. And I would just so love to see lost people reading the Bible. And there are certain verses and things that aren't my favorite, but that's the way it is with every Bible translation. But lost people matter to God. People don't read today. And we have this great resource that makes it easier to understand, easier to read. And I would just like to be buying cases of Bibles and thus passing them out. I got a different stamp, so they're just stamped once. Not this one, because this was defective. But um, there's River Rock Church just in one place. And um, so pray about that. Do that. Pray for others. But let's look at this video about the Lord's Prayer. How do I pray? It's actually a pretty common question with a myriad of possible answers. However, I think Jesus answered it best and he even gave us a template to follow. Matthew 6, 9 through 13, the Lord's Prayer. Before we get into the template, let's look at how we know it's a template. For that, we need verses 5 through 8.
The key verse here is number seven. In praying, don't use vain repetitions as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their much speaking. What Jesus is saying is don't just repeat the same prayers over and over. To help you do that, here's a format for new prayers. The Lord's Prayer is divided into six distinct stages. Stage one, worship. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. We begin our prayer by telling God who he is and what we love about him. We express his greatness and his glory. Stage two, surrender. Let your kingdom come, let your will be done, as in heaven, so on earth. We turn control of our lives and our situations over to God. We acknowledge his power and his authority, and we submit to it. Stage three, petition and intercession. Give us today our daily bread. At this point, we haven't actually asked God to do anything. The two previous stages have been establishing a connection with our maker. Now is the time that we ask for what we need. Protection, provision, guidance, whatever you are in need of. Stage four, repentance. Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Now we confess our sins to God, both sins of commission, things we have done that we weren't supposed to do, or sins of omission, things we were supposed to do but didn't. At the same time as we are asking God to forgive us, we must forgive those who have wronged us and release them from what we think they owe us. Stage five, deliverance. Bring us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We ask God to deliver us from life-controlling issues as a result of our repentance and forgiveness of others. Stage six, praise and trust. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. We bookend our prayer with more glorifying of God and profess our trust in Him and His power. And that's how to pray. So that was a good review, and that's some of the things that I said, but it was just well put. But I want to focus on one thing today, and that's persisting in prayer even when you mess up. Now, you probably don't mess up, so this message is for someone else. I have to be careful not to look at anybody because they'll be like, how do they know? What does he know? I messed up. And then they run out of here or something like that. Everybody messes up. And when you fall into sin, Satan wants everything to keep you from running back to God to restore a relationship, to make things right. He wants to do everything that he can to keep you in that hole, in that pit when you've messed up 
your life. Or when someone else is messed up and you feel like you just can't forgive them and where was God and the hurt that goes with it. But persisting in prayer even when you mess up. When you fall into sin, you can still boldly approach the throne of grace and ask God to forgive you and to help you, help you not to do it again, help you not to mess up in that way. And when it comes to temptations and things like that, it just seems like uh, Satan wants everything to get you to fall into sin. And sometimes it's not even Satan. Sometimes it's your own desires that cause you to fall into sin, to give into temptation. And so a little temptation can lead to a lot of sin. And you don't want that. We don't want that. But we want to keep coming back to the Lord and praying, even when things are messed up, even when we messed up, even when it's totally our fault, even when we committed some kind of sin that we just knew was really wrong. And um, there's really two ways about the sin that um, it can go. One, you can be committing sin that only you and God know about. And it still is affecting your relationship with the Lord and you. Uh, you've never been caught. You've never been found out. You're given into these temptations, and it's really messing up your relationship with God and others, and nobody knows but God. You need to confess that and seek change, maybe get help. And then there's the other ones where somebody did find out. You got caught, or uh, they caught you on one of those video cameras that are everywhere, or uh, somehow you were, you were find out, found out and everybody knows and uh, you face the shame of that. You still need to pray. You still need to walk with God. You still can walk with God. And we, as Christ followers, need to be quick to forgive others. So, number one, we need to pray, forgive me, and help me to forgive them. Pray, forgive me, and help me to forgive them. It is a great thing at the end of the day to ask the Lord, to ask the Holy Spirit to show you anything in your life that you've done that needs to be confessed. It's strange, but when the Lord died on the cross for our sins and we believed upon Him as our Lord and Savior, He forgave us of our sins of the past, the present, and the future. Yet, 1 John 1, 9 says that we're supposed to confess our sins and that He'll forgive us. That So we have Jesus, you know, dying for our sins, but yet we still have sin. And if we want to have a close relationship with God, have our prayers answered, walk in that tight fellowship, we need to confess those sins. So if we were to die uh, in Christ, you know, our sins would be taken care of. But if we're walking daily with Christ and we want to be blessed, we want to follow after the Lord, we want the Holy Spirit to empower us to do things, we want to enjoy all the best that God has for us, we need to confess and acknowledge to Him those things that we're doing that we shouldn't be doing, those sins, those things that we need forgiveness from. And sometimes it's not even the actions, it's the thoughts that we are sinning with, you know, uh, uh, covetousness, you know, somebody has that, why don't I have that? Or they live there, why can't I live there? Or they have that job and I'm smarter than them, why can't I have that job? So we need to pray, forgive me and forgive them. It's interesting if you read just a little further in Matthew 6, 14 and 15, it says, Jesus says, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. And that almost makes it seem like it's a conditional salvation. Um, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says we're saved by grace through faith, not by works. And, you know, having to forgive everybody is kind of a work. So that's why I'm trying to get that balance there between the sins that Jesus died for and the sins that we do that we need to confess that Jesus died for. But we still need to confess it. Does that make sense? I hope that makes sense because otherwise we are in a lot of trouble if we haven't forgiven somebody and we die 
And it's like, oh man, I forgot to forgive that guy that just ran me over and brought me to this place. While I was in the emergency room, I was just thinking about how much I hate him. And now I'm standing before the Lord and Jesus is like, hey, we were tight, but you didn't forgive him. And now you're out because I said in Matthew 6, 14, if you don't forgive, if you refuse to forgive others, your father will not forgive your sins. So I'm trying to find a balance there. I think that's where the balance is. But we need to forgive. When we forgive, we're like God because God forgives. He forgives us huge stuff. He forgives us. He remembers. He chooses not to remember it anymore. He chooses to forget the things that we've done and not to bring them up again. And we need to forgive like that too. Now that's tough. You might need counseling or some counseling resources. Uh, June Hunt's uh, Biblical Counseling Manual has this great, I don't know, 25 pages about what forgiveness is and how you can forgive somebody. But it's tough just to say, you just did this and that was so hurtful and so wrong and you just messed up my whole life and I can't forgive you this very second. I mean, you just did it. You want me to forgive you? You think you're just going to trample on me and I'm going to have to say, oh, I forgive you? Sometimes it's a process. Sometimes it takes a while. If somebody's embezzling your hard-earned money at your work, if you're a business owner or whatever, and someone's stealing money, you can forgive them, but you don't need to hire them back. You know, If somebody like, isn't taking good care of your kids, you can forgive them, but you don't have to trust them with your kids again. So there's a balance there, but we're told to forgive, and we need to forgive. James 2.13 says, There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you've been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. And we need to forgive others. So forgiving others shows my faith in God, shows that I trust in God, that God has forgiven me and I can forgive you. And there's been all sorts of things in my life that have been hurtful and everything. And I would like to forgive somebody, but they won't come around because they think I could never forgive them. So it's this wall that they put up thinking I can never forgive them, but I have forgiven them, but they still choose to stay away. Forgiveness closes the door to other sins. When we refuse to forgive and thus hold the grudge, we open the door to all kinds of other sins such as bitterness, resentment, jealousy, gossip, and hate. Ephesians 4.31 says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. So we want to be forgiving people. Sometimes it's a process. Sometimes it takes a while. Ephesians 4.32 says, Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. So we want to forgive. And C.S. Lewis in The Great Divorce describes hell as a place where no one forgets anything but remembers every cruel exchange of words and every hurt. If you want to live in a hell on earth, refuse to forgive. One thing that makes heaven a fantastic place is that God forgives completely. Romans 3.24 Yet God with undeserved kindness declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when He freed us from the penalty of our sins. Jesus died on the cross so that we could be forgiven of our sins, all of our sins. Yet as we sin, we should ask God to forgive us and to help us move forward and not to do that kind of stuff again because God has created us to worship Him and God wants us to be holy as He is holy. And God can use us like a clean utensil, like uh, God can use us for great things if we will walk with Him and not be contaminated by sin not walk in sin. So many of the difficulties about forgiveness have to do with the way that we see ourselves and how important we feel and 
how, we, how entitled we feel and how, how wrong it is for that person to do that. And we want to look at that person and say, you are terrible. But we don't want to look at ourselves and say, you know what, I'm just as terrible in a different way or I could, have, I could see myself doing that same thing in that situation or maybe it was just carelessness or maybe it was an accident. Not that you need to make excuses for people, but sometimes maybe you do need to try to figure out what would cause them to do that? Why would they be so hateful or so angry? Or why would this happen? And it's just totally confusing sometimes when you try to figure out, okay, God, why did you allow this to happen in my life? And I, I can't give you answers for some of that stuff. People choose to do sinful things that are just really messed up and wrong that can affect us in so many ways. Uh, sometimes uh, there's no excuse for it. Sometimes, you know, there could be some kind of psychological reason or something they didn't understand or they weren't walking with God so they don't have the same principles or standards that we have. But we need to do everything that we can to try to find forgiveness for these people. So in the counseling manual that I mentioned, June Hunt, um, forgiveness means dismissing a debt. So in the older versions, it says, forgive us our debts, which actually means sins. So forgiveness means dismissing a debt. So in the New Testament, the Greek noun denotes dismissal or release. When you grant forgiveness, you dismiss the debt owed to you. When you receive forgiveness, your debt is dismissed. You are released from any requirement for repayment. When you grant forgiveness, you dismiss the debt from your thoughts. Jesus told us to love our enemies. Forgiveness is dismissing your demand that others owe you something, especially when they fail to meet your expectations, fail to keep a promise, fail to treat you justly. Jesus said, if someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Forgiveness is dismissing, canceling, or setting someone free from the consequences of falling short of God's standard. The holy standard of God is perfection, yet we all have sinned. The penalty for our sins is spiritual death, separation from God. And the penalty for our sins, our debt, was paid by Jesus through a sacrificial death on the cross. Therefore, instead of being separated from God, we can have our debt dismissed by God and experience eternal life in heaven. Acts 10.43, everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So forgiveness is not circumventing God's judgment. It is allowing God to execute his justice in time in his time, in his, in, in his way. So it is not letting the guilty off the hook. It's moving the guilty from your hook to God's hook. Forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation. It takes two for reconciliation, only one for forgiveness. Forgiveness is not excusing unjust behavior. It is acknowledging that unjust behavior is without excuse while still forgiving. Forgiveness is not explaining away the hurt. It is working through the hurt. Forgiveness is not based on what is fair. It was not fair for Jesus to hang on the cross, but he did so so we could be forgiven. Forgiveness is not being a weak martyr. It is being strong enough to be Christ-like. Forgiveness is not stuffing your anger. It is resolving your anger by releasing the offense to God. And if you were to get uh, this chapter of forgiveness, uh, it's June Hunt Biblical Counseling Manual. You can actually get it on Google Play and you can um, probably on Amazon too. It's not very expensive. But it's a great resource, and it's a lot of information on forgiveness. But the thing is, is that we need to find a way to forgive. Now, when I look at myself and my life, I try to ask, I ask myself, is there anybody that I haven't forgiven? Is there anybody I'm not willing to forgive? And if there is, I pray that the Holy Spirit would bring it to mind so I can take care of that. And I would encourage you to do that same thing too. Because when you walk in unforgiveness, 
with someone, even if they don't know it, it can tear you apart. You might not ever hear that person say, I'm sorry I did that to you. I'm sorry I abandoned you. I'm sorry I hurt you. I'm sorry I broke your trust or stole this or whatever it is. They may never say that or maybe they've died and they can't ever say that, but somehow you need to come to the point through prayer that, and ask God to help you that you can forgive them, set them free from whatever it is that you're holding against them and let it go and forgive them and experience that freedom because there is freedom in that. And Satan wants to do everything he can to hold you back and to hold you down. Now, the next in the prayer, it says that don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. To pray against temptation and the tempter. It is so easy for us to become tempted in so many ways. Do you ever feel tempted by things? I was minding my own business eating right, eating all healthy and everything like that. And I walk along and there's a bag of candy on the counter. I'll just have one because I'm working real hard. And I'll just have another. Kind of cold. I must be burning more calories. I'll have five more. Thank you. So I don't really realize what I've done until I look at a pile of wrappers. I'm like, wow, those are diet candies, right? But it just happens in your life that you give in to temptation. And there are different stages of temptation. We need to turn down temptation. But number one, desire. God has given us good desires such as thirst, rest, and sex. And the evil one tries to get us to satisfy our God-given desires in perverted ways. So when it comes to being tempted in these ways, sometimes we come up with excuses or sometimes when it is convenient or when life is boring or we're stressed or whatever, we're more likely to give into these things and then things can lead down a path that we don't want to go. But we have a desire. And then deceit comes. And the Bible says we're tempted when enticed by our own evil desires. And the Bible says that there's no temptation that's going to come at us as Christians that we can't run away from. 1 Corinthians 10.13, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptations to be more than you can stand. And when you are tempted, He will show you a way out so that you can endure. So you're being deceived, being tempted, and sometimes it's Satan's tempting you, but sometimes it's your own evil desires. James 1.13 says, remember, when you're being tempted, don't say God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. The desire gives birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. And it is so easy to be deceived, to think that we're doing the right thing, or thinking that the thing that we're doing doesn't really matter, or nobody cares, or no one's going to find out, or the results don't really matter. And it's just really easy to be deceived and think that it's going to be okay, or yeah, God said they shouldn't do that, but that was for those people, and we're different. We're more advanced. We can do that, and it's okay. It's not. We're deluded. We're deluded. Galatians 6, 7, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. You'll always reap what you sow. And then disobedience. We are fully deluded about the sin. And then the next step seems natural and right. We give in to the sin. So James 1.15, the desire gives birth to sinful actions. And when the sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Death to what? Death to the relationship. Death to the job. Death to future opportunities. Death to the trust. Um, all these things can totally destroy your life. And we are told in James 4.7 to humble yourselves before the Lord. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. We need to fight temptation to avoid the disgrace, to think about the penalties of these things, to hide God's word in our heart 
Uh, Psalm 119.11 says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you, and we need to commit to flee. Commit to run, to flee, to be like Joseph running off without his coat when he was being falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. Run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. Be ready to run. When temptation comes your way, don't say, oh, I can handle this. Run. Flee. Get out of there. Don't even think about it. Sometimes it's awkward, but it's like, I got to go. Why you got to go? Because there's candy on the counter. What'd you do? I locked myself out of the house. Why'd you do it? Because you left cheesecake on the counter. So whatever it is that tempts you, that's just an easy thing to talk about because that's not really an immoral sin. Well, gluttony is actually a sin, but commit to flee. Sin will take you farther than you ever expected to go. It will keep you longer than you ever intended to stay, and it will cost you more than you ever expected to pay. Now, some people think that the Christian life is weak. Christian life is for women. Uh, it's weak. You know, forgiveness is weak. And I want to share a story from I Am Second now for just a couple minutes of Vitor Belfort, who is an MMA champion fighter. He just retired this year, but tough as can be. So his English is a little broken, but he's gone through some really hard times. He's going to tell you about it here in a second by video. But the thing that really stood out to me is he's like, God, if you let me win this, I promise I will follow you. So he won, and what did he do? He didn't follow at that time. But he follows now, and even Wikipedia mentions that. It says about his personal life, besides speaking Portuguese, English, and Spanish, he's a dedicated Christian. Belfort believes the most important key to his success and longevity in the sport is that he is happy with what he does. I just thank God every day. I'm happy. I'm healthy. Bottom line is it's just the way you treat life, and life will treat you back. Make sure you're happy with whatever is going on in your life. I think the key of life is be happy with what's in front of you. And the decision of my life is under God, and God knows what's best for me. So this is a guy that gets beat up for a living. I mean, there's, if you check his record, there's been so many times he's been just beat. And there's been other times when he's victorious. And the same thing is true in your Christian life. You might not be a fighter. You might not even like fighting. That's okay. The whole idea is that we are in a battle, and you're going to get beat up. You're going to get knocked down, but you've got to get up. You've got to keep following Jesus, no matter what shame you've brought on yourself or what people think of you, no matter how hard it's been or how people don't think you measure up, or no matter how difficult it is, you've got you to keep getting back up and fighting the battle and saying, you know, I fell to that temptation before. I'm not going to do it again. Lord, please help me to see the deceit. Lord, please help me to do the right thing. Lord, please help me to not fall into that in that trap. Watch this. I think there's two ways to get to God, through pain or through love. Mine was through pain. What I do for a living is uh, one of the toughest sports in the business, UFC. All the intensity and the facing all the fears and the battles is just so intense. For sure, they have people they are against. Oh, this is so violent. A lot of people say, man, how, how you can serve God? And, and you, you're there, and you're punching, and you're kicking someone. Hey, what about American football, hockey? Everybody's a fighter. I remember my first time I, I was fighting for a championship. I was 19 years old. I wrote a note. I said, God, if I won this championship, I'm going to serve you forever. But he knew I, I, would, I would be not, not a follower right after. And that's what's happened. As soon as I won that championship, I didn't follow God right away.
I was 20 years old, and I had an injury on the neck. All the doctors said, you know, Victor, you need surgery in your neck, and if you do surgery, no more fighting for you. You need to find another job. And I was crying. I was desperate. One day, I was driving a nice car with just an injury on my neck. I opened the window. On that moment, a guy who wasn't a skate with no legs he was saying victor you know many people that drive by here they think i'm worthless because i i don't have pair of legs but i can guarantee you, victor i'm more happy than many people that drive big cars they drive by here i got jesus and jesus can transform your life so that day is the first time i hear god's talking to my heart but even with that i didn't i didn't follow god 2004, my sister got kidnapped in Brazil. She disappeared. My mom dropped her in her work. She, we never saw her again. We have words like if you, if you lost your husband, your widow, if you lost your parent, your orphan, but if you lost your child, they don't have name for that. That's so painful. How painful it is you don't have name for that. They never found her. We never found her. My heart was getting hard and started getting bitter. Everything that I see, I want just revenge, revenge. And I was hurt, and I want a solution for my pain. I want medicine. I started praying. I started strong fire with God, and he spoke to my heart, saying, Son, it doesn't matter how you look and how you think your life. Your sisters belong to me. That, I think, was the, my biggest touch with the true relationship with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Now I have a great family, great relationship with God. My heart is so peaceful you know and then back to the UFC it's just amazing how it was and now I understand the platforms don't belong to me belong to God I can see now that through that tribulation I'm a new man I'm a strong man I'm mature I'm not perfect I still struggle with many things I'm in the middle of the process and every day I try to improve myself so I can fight through that process and that process never ends be a true fighter it's just like you in, in the fire don't worry you're gonna lose you're gonna win you're gonna lose you're gonna win the gold has to go to the fire to purify the gold but the main thing is be an overcomer you always have to overcome something então para Jesus entrar na sua vida você tem que abrir a porta do seu coração senão ele nunca vai entrar no regrets you will love the ride. It's amazing. My name is Vito Belfort, and I am second. There's a ton of other videos at IamSecond.com that have to do with all sorts of life issues and hurts and difficulties and forgiveness and everything else. Then you come to the end of the Lord's Prayer, praying the Amen at the end. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. But it's not in the newer translations because they find in the oldest manuscripts, it's not there. They think that someone added it in 
along the way. But it's still okay to pray because it's still true. And actually, First uh, Chronicles 29.11 pretty much says the same thing. It is a doxology that pretty much says the same thing here. And uh, it's a good thing to continue to pray. It's a traditional thing to pray. But David, David's prayer, Praise be to you, O Lord, God of our Father Israel. From everlasting to everlasting, yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is, o Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. Amen. Amen. So be it. I trust that the Lord has heard my prayer. Amen. I've trusted that God can fix this, that God can answer, that God can guide, that God has heard. It's a great way to end the Lord's prayer as you're praying it because it just kind of cuts off there. But I say you continue to pray it. It's a good thing. It's not, there's nothing wrong with it. It just isn't found in the earliest manuscripts of Matthew. And then finally, be on guard. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And we're going to talk about thanksgiving next week from Psalm 92, and then I might give you a little time to share what you're thankful for. So, worship team can come up. If you have any questions about how to grow in a relationship with Christ, give me a call, or let's get together and talk about that. Chris, I'm going to ask you to stay up here. Julie, would you come and join your husband up here? And then Pat, would you join us, please? October is uh, Pastor Appreciation Month, and uh, it's been a tradition here at our church to honor our pastor, our senior pastor, uh, with a card and a gift at the end of each year. And uh, we want to thank you for all your great service And uh, we just saw a fighter up here uh, on the board. Pastor Chris has been serving here, what, 17 years now that we've been here? 17 years. um, And life has been difficult and disappointing at times, and yet he's fought on. He hasn't given up on us. uh, And I am so grateful for that, that uh, it would have been easy to walk away in the midst of the trials that they've had to suffer. Um, It would be easy to move on to someplace else, and they have chosen to stay with us. And, and I want to thank them for uh, the congregation for doing that. We are so appreciative of you. And then uh, we're going to pray for them before we sing our last song. So uh, I'll give this to you. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you for Chris and Julie. And Lord, we thank you that they are fighters, that they are fighters for you. Lord, that they are not only fighting for you, but they're fighting for us. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would bless them. Help them to feel appreciated and loved, Lord, that every day that they would sense the prayers of us as people, praying for them, praying that they would be blessed and touched, and, Lord, that they would be successful in their ministries. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. It would be great if you would let us know how you were encouraged by this message. We invite you to visit River Rock Church 10 a.m. Sundays at 330 South Market Street in Belle Plaine, Minnesota. You can connect with us, find more messages to listen to, and get resources to help you grow in your faith at riverrockchurch.com.